Welcome back to the Meet St. Louis podcast, the show taking you behind the scenes of your favorite breweries, restaurants, and small businesses. I'm your host, Alexis Zotos with KMOV. Chef Ben Groupie thrives on a challenge, whether it's competing for the U.S. Culinary Olympic team or opening up a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic and pretty much scrapping a good chunk of the menu when they decided to just do takeout only. Tempest was set to open in 2019, but there was a series of delays and then a total shutdown of the hospitality industry due to the pandemic, and it pushed that opening to October 2020. And they still haven't had a diner sit down at a table inside their Grove restaurant, but in due time. Time is the theme behind the name of Groupie's first restaurant. Previously, he was the executive chef of Elia, where he was nominated for a James Beard for Best Chef Midwest. So let's take a little time out of your day and learn about one of the most anticipated new restaurants in St. Louis. And let's meet Ben. Well, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. It has been a while since I've been in this space. The last time I was here was really for the announcement that you were opening. It was completely empty, and and that was quite some time ago. Yeah, it was over two years ago. It's been a little mistaken. Yeah, or just right about two years ago. Little labor of love to uh, get the spot open. Yeah, (laughs) pandemic aside, to say the least, (laughs) had some hurdles for sure. What has that been like? Uh, The the hurdles of opening a restaurant coupled with this unprecedented year we've had? Uh, I mean, it's it's really hard to put into words, but I would just say it's very gratifying in hindsight looking back. Going through it, it was, you know, it was terrifying and it still is terrifying. Um, but really looking back on it, it really shed light on our industry, the hospitality industry of some of the problems and some of the things that collectively as restaurant operators and chefs and hospitality professionals and culinarians that we all really need to get better at. Was there a moment ever that you thought this is not going to happen? Oh, yeah. If I would say no, then I'd be <laughs> completely lying. Um, yeah, there, there was. It was around this time last year when a lot of the shutdowns started happening and um, a lot of the news from uh, Asia and Europe were traveling like a lot of the severity of the virus over there was just coming over to the U.S. and it's just right at that point we were kind of in this pivotal role um, internally as Tempest of getting everything on track we you know we had a a diligent plan forward and then you know I want to say about a year exactly from today is when uh, all Specifically yeah. in St. Louis, everything. It was. I mean, I know yesterday I saw on my, you know, this time last year app, it yeah. was you know restaurant after restaurant making that choice to say right. we're going to close our doors. At the time, we thought hmm, maybe a couple weeks. Um, Correct. Little did we know. Yeah. And you guys kept moving forward. Yeah, I mean, in, again, in hindsight, looking back, we were fortunate at the time to not have a full. St- we still had. Uh, more or less our leadership team intact. Um, but we were very fortunate not to have to furlough uh, an entire team, have to go through the process of like just opening and then just closing. So again, we really used it as a moment to 
kind of like strip everything away. Not that we got rid of anything, but like really focus on what we needed to do because we knew that we didn't know what was ahead of us, but we knew that this was going to change our industry, you know, forever. It's like you kind of what I mentioned before is like you really had to take a look and identify what we needed to do to be hospitality mm -hmm. forward, thoughtful and um, really taking this seriously. And you guys made the choice to open in October, which really, if we look back, was one of the, you know, really at the peak of some of our cases. Correct. But you didn't open the dining room. No, we just, it, uh, it was a lot of conversations going back and forth. And we just felt like to put what we felt Tempest is forward, we couldn't do it with the dining room. We didn't want to put any members of our team in a confrontational um situation sure. we're confronting somebody about um some of the parameters that we were putting in place but we knew that we could execute our food and our experience at a high level with takeout and that's pretty amazing and you guys have because mm -hmm. review after review post after post says right. this is a takeout experience to be had yes. here at tempest and that's challenging when you look at it's a very challenging finer dining kind of style of food. How did you go about tweaking and changing your menu to be carried out and eaten in someone's home? So that process looked like scrapping the menu and concepts that I had for Tempest at the time for the dining room. And we really took it, put it under a microscope to look at it as like, what is takeout? How can we do takeout with keeping the thoughtfulness, the kind of the true to kind of this classical food that we do that has like a point of reference for someone, whether it's classical American or classical French or it, there's, there's that point of reference to it, but how can we do it to where it doesn't jeopardize the quality of the food that it still carries with our ethos and how can we do it a level um, that's kind of going above the standard quo, you know, like we, you know, we went through dozens and dozens of container options. <laughs> was there a lot of, yeah, I imagine a lot of trial there and error. There was a tremendous amount of energy and R&D put into it, yeah. You know, it was, you know, months of just getting takeout from other restaurants, our, you know, our, our peers in, in the city and in the county and just seeing what they're doing. It's like, because we were fortunate not to be open, which, you know, my my heart and you know i applaud everyone that you know that has been doing it and is still doing it in a safe and you know effective manner but it's like I, we just wanted to see what they were doing mm -hmm. it's like okay cool it's like nothing nothing bad or anything but it's just like okay how can we take this a step further how can we have this genuine hospitality and thoughtfulness conveyed in takeout that you take home and experience yeah because i feel like i mean i have eaten quite a lot of takeout this year. Right. <laughs> and there's just certain things that don't travel well. Correct. And so were there things that you loved on your menu that you knew, oh, we can't do it, we can't serve this right now because yeah. it's not gonna work in a to-go box? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of seafood items that we've found, um, just not that we embarked on this journey of like testing all these seafood <laughs> items. We're just like, yeah, it's not gonna work. Yeah, it's not gonna work. And then the biggest challenge is, is um, imparting texture mm -hmm. into every, you know, it's having, uh, you know, we had scallops on uh, our most recent menu. We changed the set on it, but, um, you know, scallops held really well. The, they were kind of enrobed in this um, 
lemongrass coconut sauce that was um, all it was all vegetal based but then it's you know it it traveled well it retained its heat without overcooking the scallops and you know it's that that's kind of that fine line that we're yeah as a chef that I imagine has dreamed of that opening day for for a long time now what has the reception been like even to this pivoted version Mm -hmm. of your restaurant what's that been like uh the feedback that we get from our guests is it's i mean it it blows us away not just me but our entire team all the feedbacks shared with our team we um we started with doing callbacks um back in january to where we're calling every guest back and you know asking you know thanking them for Mm -hmm. supporting us and then asking them for their honest uh criticism and all of the feedback has just been very positive. You know, there are some things that we had to tweak or whatever, but, you know, that's why we were doing it, is that genuine hospitality of, like, we want to make sure that you're getting a fabulous Tempest experience, and if there are things that we need to do better, we will absolutely take those steps. But, yeah, the everything from the thank you cards, which is, again, it's this, I cannot thank our guests enough for supporting us through through some of the toughest times that our industry specifically hospitality has seen but like everyone in general has just been you know everything's just been uprooted and thrown upside down um but yeah everything from our cocktail bottling to the instructions on the cocktails and the serviceability of the cocktails um to just the ease and simplicity of the food Mm -hmm. you know with being detail oriented about the labeling of the food and you know, like our brownie set, for instance, it's like, you know, we, we, we feel that the brownie is best enjoyed at room temperature. Mm-hmm. So, like, we don't want somebody to put the brownie in the refrigerator when they get home and they're like, oh, this thing was tough as nails. <laughs> but, like, that's what we, we tag it and just, you know, please enjoy at room temperature. Is that been a way that you kind of think and process for a long time in that, in that detail-oriented? When do you think that sort of came into your um, way of being a chef? Um, I've always been very detail oriented, but kind of like I said before, is like putting this under a microscope. It's like going back to that takeout experience when you get home and you're unpackaging, you know, your bag and it's like, well, what is this? Well, I don't know what that is. So like labeling the things, it just being, it's taking that thoughtful, like it's almost that non-human interaction communication. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is my butter for my dinner rolls. Or, oh, this is the dumpling for my beef. Or, you know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's, it's, have, it's the little things like that that I feel and that our team feels makes a difference. And that's what the guests on the other side, on the receiving end of our takeout, they really appreciate. Yeah. So walk me back to the beginning. When did you first fall in love with being in a kitchen? Shit. <laughs> um, when I... I fell in love the moment I started working in a kitchen environment. Um, I mean, we're talking early 2000s, um, but I didn't start taking it seriously really till like 2004, 2005. What was your first job in a kitchen? First job in the kitchen was a dishwasher at this small mom and pop restaurant in Clayton. A lot of my friends worked there, uh, both front of the house, back of the house. Um, it was kind of like a winter gig at the time. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine and I had a... Uh, uh, he had a lawn service and I would help him out throughout, you know, high school and early part of college or whatever during the summer, fall and uh, spring. And I just picked up washing dishes as like 
okay, cool. I can get some extra money and <laughs> hang out money. with my friends and, <laughs> you know, not take anything seriously. Was there a moment that you realized this might be something more than just a way to make some pocket change? Yeah, like the the chef owner of the of the restaurant would um, trying to rem- there was like one night like I don't know one of the cooks no called no show it was like groupie you're up you're getting on salads and I'm like uh, okay <laughs> cool whatever um, but it like that was kind of like my there wasn't like this aha moment or anything, but, um, you know, they would tell me, he's like, wow, you know, you kind of have like this natural ability. You should, he was involved with like the, uh, the ACF chef organization in St. Louis at the time. Um, I went to like a couple meetings and they were at Forest Park community college. Um, and he encouraged me to enroll in the college. And that's kind of where I met, uh, Chris Dessens. Um, who was one of my mentors who just kind of, you know, we, we, uh, have this, we both have this mutual memory of like, I was leaving one of these meetings. I was, you know, first year culinary student. We ran into each other in the parking lot. He's like, Hey, he gave me his car. He's like, Hey, if there's anything you need, don't hesitate, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. I didn't take it. I was like, cool, man, whatever. (laughs) Um, but like months after that, I was like, you know, I'm going to give this guy a call and you know, Long story short, he took me under his wing. I did an apprenticeship underneath him, and that's he kind of like encouraged me to get on my path, and that's when I started taking it seriously. What was that apprenticeship like? Uh, it was a, it was really focused uh, at the racket club. It was really focused on just focusing on fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, knife work, stock making, um, things of that nature. But that pushed me he pushed me into the Greenbrier culinary partnership is which is where everything kind of like accelerated and what was that like the Greenbrier yeah oh it was insane <laughs> it was like it it's it's been coined as like the boot camp culinary boot camp for chefs um, but it's an immersive kind of all-in three-year apprenticeship program to where you're covering everything from like some of the basic fundamentals, like I mentioned, like knife work and stock making, but you know, everything from sauce making, um, classically rooted sauce making and like classically rooted French cuisine, um, to consommes, to butchery, to competition, to baking and pastry. It, it's really all encompassing ice carving. Um, did you make some cool ice carvings? Uh, that depends on your definition of cool, but yes, I, 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 I can wheel a chainsaw for ice carving, but you may not be able to tell what it is. Identify what it is. <laughs> that is definitely one of my weakest. I do not enjoy ice carving. You, do you have one of those skills that would, you would say is your best skill? Is there something you feel you excel at the best? Oh, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I really enjoy sauce making, fish butchery. Um, those are some that's like personally that I enjoy. I would say maybe I excel at sauce making. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it, I take a lot of gratification out of that, you know, properly making a stock and then turning it into this delicious sauce that's served on the plate. I mean, how much of that really plays into even your day to day? I mean, do you still look back and think of moments and lessons learned back in that apprenticeship every day in the kitchen oh 100 percent. yeah it's you know it's those are those are kind of like skills and techniques and memories that are forged into into like who i am mm-hmm. and i'm 
sharing that with our entire culinary team. Yeah, you mentioned a mentor was, was huge for you. Mm-hmm. How important do you see your role as a mentor? Uh, I think it's all about sharing those experiences, you know, not, you know, not being so secretive about anything. It's like, uh, we have a very collaborative kitchen and I just want to build and, you know, people that come through our kitchen here at Tempest, I want them when they leave here to have a set of skills that they can take on and excel their own career. You know, it's not about my way or the highway, but it, you know, it's, it's, there is a little bit of that, but it, you know, it's for people that come through here. I want them to leave better when, from when they came in. Yeah, you also got into competitions. Yes. Talk to me about that. You were on the U.S. Culinary Olympic team. Mm-hmm. What I don't know if a lot of people know that that exists. What is that? It does. There. <laughs> um, so there is a Culinary Olympics that is held every four years. When I was involved with it. Uh, I was on the 2016 team and the 2012 team. The Olympics were held every four years in Erfurt, Germany. Um, So that was every four. And then we competed in what was called the Culinary World Cup, which is held offset every two years from those four without getting in too much detail here. (laughs) That was held in Luxembourg. Um, So 2010, I tried out for the United States Culinary Olympic team at the age, I think it was 25, 26 at the time. Mm. Um, Tried out for the team, fresh out of the Greenbrier Culinary Apprenticeship Program, and I made it. What does a Culinary Olympic tryout look like? So there was was an application process. Um, So it's kind of, it was more or less like a three-step process. You had to submit an application with letters of recommendation, um, similar to like a CV or a resume that you're submitting for a job. Um, So you were, once you were passed through the application process, then you were invited to the first of a two-part, like let's say practical tryout. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was invited to the first tryout. It was, it was actually my birthday of (laughs) 2010 and I ended up passing, got, it was, got gold, uh, and then was invited to the next round of tryouts, which were, I believe, in April of that year, which was a hot, hot food competition, kind of like a freestyle cooking. You got to choose your menu. It was two courses, a fish, fish or shellfish appetizer, and then a, um, uh, pro, uh, I think we did a beef. No, we did lamb as the entree or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So then past that and then out of everyone that passed those let's say two hurdles then they picked the team from there what was it like competing <laughs> um i i thrived on it i loved it it was uh it was an adrenaline rush it was kind of like this all-in mentality um i would say i was addicted to competition mm-hmm. for a long long time just because it was it was kind of my outlet to really just like laser focus on, on the craft, if you will. Um, but like being on the team looked like more or less once, once a month for about three to four days, we would travel um, and all the chefs were from all over the country and we would travel to, at our time, our sponsor, was, one of our sponsors was Johnson & Wales. So we mm. would travel to any of the Johnson & Wales properties to collaborate and get together as a team to work on the menu for Luxembourg or the Olympics. That's 
It's pretty cool. I mean, I think a lot of people like think cooking competitions are so many shows that people are obsessed with watching these cooking right, competitions. Right. Is it similar to what people watch uh, on, you know, Food no, Network, Bravo? No, not really. <laughs> like the moments leading up to it are like if you were an observer or kind of like a fly on the wall, you'd probably see it very redundant and boring. But it's, it's kind of that uh, focus and that dedication to like really making, putting yourself forward with something like that for the big show was, um, like for us, it was tremendously gratifying. Um, you know, literally years and years and years of work focused on like, let's say three dishes, you know, and when you finally get to that moment to cook it and present it, it's, it's very gratifying. And how did you do while you guys were there? We did very well. Um, our team, both for the World Cup in 2012 and 2014, we placed third. Um, two gold medals out of, I don't know, I mean, there's 26 countries or whatnot, I think, at the time. Um, 2012 Olympics, uh, we had two silver. And then 2016 Olympics, we won the uh, one portion of the entire Olympics. So we were first out of, again, 20 odd teams, but then we ended up placing fourth overall. Mm. I think we had three gold medals. What would you say the biggest thing that you got out of that experience was? Uh, it, the biggest thing I would just, my biggest takeaway from that experience was forging relationships, mm -hmm. but then also um, discipline. It's, you know, setting a goal, no matter how insane it sounds, but having that discipline and commitment to getting it done and finishing it is something that I really took away from it. When you weren't competing, what were you doing at that time? When I wasn't? During those years, yeah. Um, well, that's <laughs> up until recently, I haven't been competing. So I was competing... You know, throughout my apprenticeship at the okay. Greenbrier, the competition was kind of woven into the fabric of the comp mm -hmm. of the apprenticeship. Gotcha. So, 2000, let's say 2006, up until 2017 is when I did my last competition. So you competed for quite some time. A long time. Wow. Yes. What made you decide to take that step back from it? Um, there was a lot of personal decisions for it. It just, I realized... And I realized I had a problem with it mm. because it was consuming and all involved. Um, I've lost relationships. I've lost jobs. I've lost a lot of, like precious family time because I mean, when I go into these things, like you can ask my wife, Alex, <laughs> she's like, oh, here he goes again. He's, I, I'm, I'm checked out. Like I am laser focused on the task at hand with competition. And I just knew that like, if I can't separate the two, mm. so competition isn't gonna pay the bills, competition isn't going to, um, you know, be there forever. So I just decided to, you know what, enough's enough. I realized that this is not healthy for me as a person mm. or my family and put all that energy into a restaurant. Yeah. And, and so when, when was that moment of knowing you wanted to open Tempest. Was Tempest what you originally had in mind, or did you just know a space of your own was was the goal? At the time, I uh, 
the goal was a space of my own. So at the time I was at Ellie and Olio, and this is when I was trying out for um, the Bocuse team, and which is another which is very another extensive competition. Yes, um, yes, that was a again that that competition or that tryout for that team was a very gratifying experience, you know. But that competition, sh- that's where it really showed me that, dude, you gotta you gotta give it up. Mm. It's just, it's, again, it's like I'm just all in. Like there was times with that competition, you know, I was so sick, but I was so stubborn that I would just keep moving, keep moving, keep pushing, keep pushing. And it's just not healthy. Mm. Um, but during that process, if I, and I had a decision for myself, if I would be selected for that team, I would then pursue focus, et cetera, et cetera. And then once that, because that was a two-year commitment, Mm -hmm. once that's done, then I'll focus on my own place. If I don't get selected as the candidate, then I would focus on my own place. And that's what happened. You didn't get selected? I did not, no. You did not get selected. Looking back, was that a good thing, do you think? Or is it still hard to... In hindsight, looking back, it was, yeah. I mean... Again, it was we were up against. I was, uh, we, my team that was involved with it, were up against some incredible chefs, extremely talented chefs. So to even be, you know, in that same arena was it was one hell of an experience, mm-hmm. you know. And but hindsight again was like, yeah, it was devastated, crushed me. But like, I don't think I'd be sitting here right now with what we have as Tempest if the case would have flipped so it's you know it's as life time right keeps, time keeps moving <laughs> you know and i think that's a lesson that no matter if someone's in a, a chef a teacher any any industry i think someone can relate to that feeling of of not getting something you've worked your whole yeah. career for essentially mm-hmm. and that path it takes you down can so often be the better path right yeah um so tempest was was swirling in your mind did you know what it was going to look like at the time that you were it was no, just like you I've knew had, you wanted a place over the years I've, I've kept a file uh on my computer that would just you know if there are some uh, if i visited a restaurant and there was a technique they were using i would kind of file that away or if it was an aesthetic you know an aesthetic thing i would file it away mm-hmm. or just concepts and ideas I, it was just kind of like a catch-all uh but then i started putting that through the filter and just kind of piecemealing all these ideas together um and again long story short put all those ideas together engaged with some people and here we are how hard is that process to scale back on on years of ideas um it is it's challenging (laughs) um but really it's trust again hindsight looking back on this is you know, really believing in yourself and trusting those people that you surround yourself with. Do they have your best intentions at hand? When you were looking at the restaurant scene across St. Louis, was there a niche you were trying to fill? Was there something you felt was missing? I mean, we have such an incredible restaurant scene here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. you have worked there at the best. Right. You've been nominated for James Beard Best Chef. Uh, what were you looking at? to say 
here's what I think we we can also do that we can add to this this restaurant right. scene. Um, I mean, there was no specific like niche we were trying to fill. It's I just want to do meat. Like this is, you know, even describing our food, it's like it's not, it's not Italian. It's not you know French. It's not. There's so many influences and um, and whatnot that it's like you can't put a specific label on it. Um, but I just, you know, I want something, wanted to create something that is very approachable, um, but taking, um, taking an approach of being hospitality forward yeah. to where we're welcoming you into this space. We just want you to come in here and just have a good time. Have a good time. Have a good meal. Uh, do you think that's something we've seen change over the years? This idea that there doesn't have to be a label on it. It doesn't have to be labeled fine dining. It doesn't have to be labeled Italian. Do you think that's something we've seen adapt and change? I think it's, you know, if you look at American cuisine as a whole, there's influence from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't, I don't want to say it's a trend. That's just something that I've always... Um, believed with my style of food, if that's even a, I'm not even saying that's a thing, but like, it's Ben's like, style. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's like throughout my apprenticeship, it was like the, cause part of it is like, so what is your theme for the menu? It's like my theme, there is no theme. I'm mm. just cooking what I want to cook. Mm -hmm. Like the theme of not having a theme, I guess you could say, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, I just have a hard time articulating that, but like, my way of articulating that is putting a plate of food in front of you. Like, oh, okay, cool. This is, I get it now. This is um, a wedge salad or, you know, strawberry shortcake or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but like American food, there's so many influences from everywhere. You know, not to be cliche, but it is like the melting pot of There is everything. a reason. It's, right. <laughs> there's a reason that it's called that. How much influence do you take? Well, I was going to say from travel, not that we get to really do that right now, but um, right. obviously you've been around the world through your competitions. How much inspiration do you pull from that when you're in the kitchen? Uh, I pull a lot from it. You know, it's, it's having a point of reference of, um, I'm going to use an example on our beef dish right now that we've had on from our opening menu. That, that was inspired by, I shouldn't say inspired, it was for like the braised red cabbage that's on there. Mm -hmm. It's the inspiration behind that dish or the thought behind that dish was sauerbraten. But if I put sauerbraten, if you put sauerbraten on the menu with not having a human interaction to explain the dish or articulate the dish, you're gonna look at this and be like, oh, sauerbraten, my grandma used to make this, it's <laughs> disgusting. You know, it's tough, it's blah, blah, you know, whatever. But like having experienced sauerbraten in Germany uh, numerous times it's one of those things it's, it's it's like comfort food but then there's that point of reference so it's putting that braised cabbage on there making a dumpling of sorts that can have the same similar texture and flavor profile as the dumplings that we had in Germany but then kind of do it our way mm -hmm. but it's 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 having that reference I imagine the day that you can have a diner sitting down at a table and explaining versus having to write it all detailed out in a in a to-go menu oh, right. what's that going to feel like for you uh it's going to be tremendous just to be able to look out through the kitchen and just you know just see a busy dining room is i cannot wait for that day to happen
Is there a timeline that you guys are even trying to look at in terms of when that when those diners might walk through the doors? Yeah, we're uh, we're definitely diligently working on that right now. Um, you know, it's it's going to be we we're taking the same approach that we did with our to go program, or I should say our program. Mm -hmm. That same approach, that same attention to detail, the thoughtfulness, that genuine hospitality is going to be in our dining room. So it's, it's not as easy as just, you know, okay, now we're going to open, open the, the dining doors. room. You know, there's <laughs> all, all of our focus has been on really honing in every, our processes for takeout. So now that we have takeout, if this were, you know, it, it, it's more or less operating on a very even plane. So our focus now has been shifted into the dining room. Um, one thing that's going to help us accelerate that was what we volunteered for yesterday with the COVID drive-through. Um, I am ecstatic to say that our entire leadership and full-time team are vaccinated. So having that is kind of like a very, it's, it's a very motivating and it's a very reassuring thing for all of our full-time staff. Yeah, you guys took a, a day with the team to volunteer. Right. Why was that something that was important for you as a chef to, to kind of give back in a way? Um, it's important to me. I've always tried my best to give back in some type of capacity, whether it's volunteering at a, a, a food shelter or volunteering for, you know, cooking meals for people at hospitals. Um, being involved with, you know, Sorry, I'm just at a loss for words. <laughs> volunteering, important. Yes. Volunteering a time to just give back to whatever, you know, to benefit less fortunate people. Yeah. But like having the ability or the opportunity to say, the opportunity being, okay, we've made a conscious decision. We're going to close the restaurant today because it means so much to us to really help get this, you know, get this vaccine moving. Yeah. And I mean, that's that light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like for right. so many restaurant owners that I've talked to in the last couple of weeks, knowing that we're getting close, that yes. there is a, that there's a sense of hope. Right. And especially for someone like you, who's hasn't gotten to see a diner sit down right. in your restaurant yet. It, it's gotta be huge. But yeah, but like we've throughout this whole process, we've taken this very seriously. We've, you know, safety is our number one priority safety for our team and safety for our guests like currently all of our leadership right now we get tested three times a week wow um and then all of our full-time employees get tested one time a week and that's at no cost to them like we tempest is absorbing ex absorbing that cost so that's still an ongoing thing and we've been doing that since December, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so that's our commitment to our team, but having to then have this opportunity to go volunteer, we're like, oh yeah, we're all in. Like, let's go. When you do open the doors for dine-in, will takeout still be a thing that Tempest continues? Yeah, it will. Um, I think it's going to be something that's always going to be part of not just us but part of our industry it's mm -hmm. it's i feel it's it's a new extension of restaurants it to say we're not going to do it anymore would then shut out a lot of people that don't feel comfortable doing it yet mm -hmm. 
which is, you know, if, if we can execute it, why not? You've, you've tweaked it so much now, you might as well. What is anything else that you think we're going to see be a consistent change in the hospitality business a year out from now, two years out from now that gosh, a year plus ago, we wouldn't have have imagined. Yeah. I mean, I really think that paid sick time off needs to be definitely part of the equation. That's something that we offer to all of our employees is, you know, you, you're accumulating paid sick time off, really taking that into consideration, taking people's well-being into consideration is something that has to change. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and that's not really something that's always been at the forefront of this business no, no. or a lot of businesses. Let's be real. Right. No, I mean, I think that, that really, you know, this helped expose a lot of problems and put it under the microscope. And it's, you know, that was one decision that we made as, as a business is like this very important to us, you know? Um, the, the name Tempest, as I'm sitting here looking at this clock that you guys have on the wall that I'm excited for some, for people to see when they come in here, where did the name come from? The name spawned from conversations with my business partner and it kind of, um, organically just transformed into like, we like the name, but then it, the meaning behind it of the correlation with time, it really stuck. And then it's, you know, the meaning of what is the meaning of time, not to get all philosophical and, you know, go down that rabbit hole, but like time means something different to everyone. How you spend your time is so important, whether it's with friends or with family or with work, it has a meaning for everyone, but time is our most valued resource. And especially looking back over this time of the past year, mm-hmm. like it's, it's just, what is time? <laughs> what does it mean? Like, I don't, again, not getting all philosophical, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's time and time is always moving and not, and time had a, the name has a correlation with the food that we do. It's always moving forward. It's always, I don't want to say evolving, but it's always in a constant state of motion. Like flavors are being tweaked presentations are being tweaked the menu is you know it's not like we're putting out an annual or quarterly menu the menu is always in a constant state of evolution time is always moving so Time will tell for the future of a lot of St. Louis's restaurants, but there is clearly a sense of hope in the air around our region. We are seeing new places opening up. The legendary Tony's has moved from downtown to Clayton and opens this week. So does Casa Don Alfonso, which opens in the Ritz-Carlton. Popular places like Bogarts and Rise Coffee have reopened after a winter hiatus, so exciting things are happening. And speaking of exciting, if you happen to pick up a copy of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this weekend, we were thrilled to be featured in a roundup of local podcasts. You can head to our social media channels, Meet St. Louis Podcast, on Instagram and on Facebook to find the link to that article. This episode was produced and edited by J.J. Bailey.